Welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner Since 96. And as always, joining me here this evening is Adam Keyes. Adam, are you ready? I'm ready, Farhan. Okay. So, first question. Have we found our left eight in Trossard? No. Should Jesus have been given a full 90 minutes? No. And is it time to explore a proper defensive left-sided fullback in the January window? No. Adam, that's three no's. I think that, that might be the first time ever you've given us three no's. Really eager to hear more from those answers. Um, but how are you doing? How are you feeling? We're recording straight after the game, uh, a three o'clock kickoff, which nobody likes, especially those that don't go to the game or that, that aren't able to go to the game. Um, we managed to make it work this afternoon. Tell me, how's it, how's it all going for you? Yeah, good. I, uh, I'm obviously pleased with the three points. It was one of those kind of needlessly nervy finishes. And I, I know there will be people that are saying Arsenal fans will always find something to complain about. But we saw, we've seen it in other games where we've played 3-0 football at 2-0 and ended up drawing the game. And uh, so, yeah, nervy finish. But all in all, like, I'm really pleased with how we played for the most part. I thought, I actually thought it was one of our best performances this, of the season. And Wolves are a very good side. So, look, I'm, I'm taking the positives and we got over the line. I think Arteta will really go through some of them at the end. But um, all in all, as a fan, very happy. And I think there's plenty to work on ahead of Luton. But all in all, top of the table, four points clear. Very pleased tonight. How are you? Yeah, can't complain. This is the first game of many in this very busy December month. And so we've we've got off to a, uh, a winning start. Um, the next fixtures don't uh, come any... Well, they don't, they're, they're not any easier. And... Um, it depends how you want to look at it. Three consecutive away games. I know one of them is a is a is a dead robber in the Champions League. Um, but then you know, Brighton, Liverpool, West Ham, Fulham near the end of the month. So you know, we can only take the confidence, as you said. And today's performance, first half performance, in fact, even the second half performance as well, will be a, a different type of a performance. We did end up dominating the you know majority of the game and some really strong individual performances as well, which we're going to talk about. So yeah, nice to see everyone um, continuing on from that dominant performance um, in the midweek against Lens and, you know, especially the front three as well, who seem to be looking a lot better. Uh, you know, it seems like every every game that they play together, every minute that they're on the pitch together, um, they're gelling more and it's, it's, you know, it's becoming, it's looking more slicker, smoother. Um, we're seeing partnerships being developed on both sides of the pitch, both flanks, which is really good because previous seasons, they would always, we would always have the stronger flank. Um, either, you know, Saka on the right-hand side with Ben White's overlapping runs or, um, 
Shaka and and uh, Martinelli on on the opposite side. Now we're seeing you know triangles appear on both sides, which is really really nice to see. I feel like we're getting back into our attacking mojo, which is good. Better late than never. Um, but you know we find ourselves at the top of the league. We've only lost once, and you know it's it's weird, isn't it? Um, saying that and seeing us in a similar position to last season when it hasn't always looked the same. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the the big thing this season has been kind of, we've been more secure defensively as we keep talking about more control in games, but we've been less electric. We haven't created as many chances. We haven't played this with the same excitement as we did last season. But and I think that's probably why it feels different. And I also think that one of the biggest things was last year was kind of this magic train that we were all on that we didn't expect to be on because we went into last season with the talk of can Arsenal finish top four, not can Arsenal win the title. And then it was like, will Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko be enough for Arsenal to finish in the top four? And actually we ended up in this title challenge. And whereas this year, I think the expectations there, we were demanding wins every week in the way we weren't last year. So I think that's a big part of it is just the the kind of contrast in how we went into each season. And also just we played electric, chaotic, beautiful football last season. And we also left ourselves very open at the back. And Saliba did a lot of clearing up for us. Gabrielle did it as well. So Look, I think it's one of those. I'm very happy where we are this season. I don't think we've fully got going in attack yet. And I think that for a lot of teams is going to be very scary. The fact that Arsenal haven't really, I guess, clicked into full gear in attack. But our, we've got the foundation. And that's it's the foundation that will win you the title. Because when things aren't going well at, in front of goal and you're not creating the chances that you are that you know you can, you want to still be in games by not conceding and not giving away stupid chances. So it's, um, look, I'm very pleased with how things are going this season. I think most Arsenal fans are. Mm. Okay. Let's talk about this game and maybe leading up to it, um, how we were feeling. It, 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 I don't know about you, but for me, it just seemed like one of those fi- annoying fixtures that didn't really mean any, I mean, of course it means something. It's a Premier League game, but Wolves at home, is yeah it doesn't really pose excitement or apprehension it's somewhere in between it's like we should beat them will we beat them who knows we'll find out but i'm not excited enough to feel nervous <laughs> um whereas you look at Luton away and you're thinking oh Luton away first time in the premier league at kenworth uh, kenworth yeah. road you know villa away villa park unai emery's got them playing exciting football brighton at home brighton again attractive uh, style of football one of the best teams to, to 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 play football in the in the Premier League and field away we don't need to speak about that because we all we know all too well so a game like this against Wolves is is it's always one of those kind of games especially when they've got the amount of injuries that they had um yeah really difficult to 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 get yourself psyched up for it I don't know about you but this is how I felt um and especially it being a three o'clock kickoff so starting off with the starting lineup um normally I mean this season anyway, I've just felt really blech, like I just really don't care about starting lineups. And um, I find myself feeling the same again. There was only one change. Uh, have us out Trossard in. Everyone else continued, um, with, you know, where they uh, left off in the Champions League. Um, 
I don't know if there's anything really to anything more we can we can dissect or talk about when it comes to the starting lineup. But yeah, t- uh, give me your um, take on the starting lineup. But also, I'm more interested to hear how you were feeling about the game going into it. Yeah, I think it was one of those. Like, I, I was actually looking forward to this game because Wolves have played very well this season. I did the preview show and uh, talked about kind of some of their performances, and it was very much what I thought would happen happen today. Wolves aren't a low block team; they're a, a possession based team. They, they like to get the ball in the deck. They play the ball well. They work hard for each other, and that's what we saw today. That their possession numbers sit around forty seven percent, which for a team in the bottom half is very high. They um, they don't hoof the ball forward. They, they get it down and they, they do try to play. They're not an overly dirty team either. But look, it was one of those, they have beat Spurs, they've beat City. They're a good side. So it was a game I was looking forward to and thought it had the potential to be a really good occasion for Arsenal. And uh, then with the starting lineup today, it was one of those, I as I said to you before the game, I'm not keen on Trossard at left eight. I, I just don't think he offers enough in that role. And I think today the performance that we saw today kind of was why I had those apprehensions of him in that role. But all in all, look, I, I was happy with it. And I agree with you about starting lineups this season that there is a bit of a meh, I don't really care because I've got so much confidence in the team. And a big part of that as well is we've kept that core in place, the Rea, Saliba, Gabriel, Declan Rice. And I think when you've got those four on the pitch together, the, the relationship with Raya and his defenders is getting better. And those guys, that, that trio in front of him, you're going to have a chance in every game. People don't want to play against those three. So all in all, I was happy with the team and thought there was enough there to win the game. Yeah, well, speaking of winning the game, um, it, it, it happened so quickly, you know, it, almost reminiscent of the Champions League game against Lens, a, a very, very quick start. Um, now, usually mm. I, I would ask you, give me your take on the first 10 minutes, but we obviously got a goal in the first 10 minutes. So talk to me about <laughs> the opening exchanges. How did you, um, yeah, how, how would you summarise the way Arsenal approached that game in the opening few minutes? A bit like Lawn's midweek, I thought it was one of our fastest starts in terms of there was a real, I think there was a desire to go out and get it done. So, um, and that's not something that we've seen this season. A lot of games I felt we've been feeling our way into them. Whereas today there was, it felt like there was a real desire to go out and really win the game and get ourselves on the score sheet early. And that's exactly what we did. It was kind of, it was one of those that we were getting a lot of the ball, but we were pushing them back into their box very, very early on. And we were really utilizing Saka out on the right, getting him into the game. And then obviously the goal came in the sixth minute of the game. So it, we were rewarded very, very early on. And the goal itself, it's just the, the combination between Saka and Jesus, the, the ball Saka plays into Jesus in the first place, that's one of those, we see Saka do stuff like this all the time. And it's just, even his assist for Jesus the other night is a a really hard pass to play. He's under so much pressure. And today he manages to get that ball in between two players. Jesus with a lovely control and a little flick round. And then Saka into the box, nice pass in from Tomiyasu. And just a really, really strong finish. And again, it's one of those, he's the one that's scoring. 
for the most part, he gets the opening goal. He gets the equalizer in games and he comes up with big moments. And it, it's, it was no surprise when it was him that opened the scoring for us today. So I was really pleased to see it. And it's just him continuing his great form. So that's his fifth goal in the league. And he just keeps scoring at the minute. So I think he's getting stronger and it's great to see. Unlike last season, we had um, maybe you could say two or three different attacking channels or two or three really exciting things about the squad. There was the rejuvenation of of Shaka, his role. There was the interchanging front three. And there was the um, Saliba effect at the back as well. Aside from those three, there was maybe a... Yeah, and yeah, Odegaard, of course. And maybe a few other things like, you know, Ben White's overlapping run and Zinchenko inverting in. This season, though, it seems like there are a few extra layers being added to our, pardon the pun, Arsenal. And one of those is 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 the inclusion of Takahiro Tomiyasu, who is almost replicating what Zinchenko does on the left-hand side, but on the right-hand side, which is lingering on that 18-yard box, just adding that extra figure. And in doing so, it does so much for someone like Odegaard, who is just free to roam around, do whatever he needs to do. The pressure is taking off his shoulders and he can perform at his best. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a lot of time discussing uh, Tommy Asu because I think it's, it's, um, it's high time that we do. Um, I think he's, he's, he's been going under the radar for the last few matches only because I think most fans are just waiting to see whether these performances are consistent enough before we can start giving him his true accolades. Um, but this game was a true reflection of, you know, what uh, another di- uh, uh, dynamic to that right-hand side. He didn't need to overlap. He 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 added something different, which, um, you know, made that goal look as good as it, as it did. I just watched it back and it was just... It happened all so quickly. I mean, Bakayo Saka starts the, the the move off nice and slow. He does, nothing's really happening. He's got two men in front of him. And, you know, we heard Saka make a comment about, you know, having two men uh, marking him this season. Uh, and the way that he needed to to solve it was to find a solution. And it was so, you know, refreshing to hear from a player like him. It wasn't a complaint. There wasn't any excuses. It was, this is the situation Let's find a solution out of it. And the solution seems to be creating these lovely triangles. I've just paused it just before the moment where he lays it through to Jesus with that cute pass. And you can see that triangle there formed really nicely with uh, Tomiyasu entering, you know, on that edge of the box. Uh, Odegaard's, you know, as free as you like. Jesus, what he does here really, really well is lays into his 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 marker, giving himself that extra inch of space, mm. that extra yard that you need to pick up the ball, lay it left, right, do whatever you need to do. You're South American. You can do, you can get away with those things. And so he turns the ball, wriggles, lovely little flick into Tomiyasu. He doesn't even need to think, you know, the, 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 I guess, muscle memory and not even that, just the intricacy as well to lay it off with that, um, with the weight of that pass as well. It's so nicely done. Maybe you could argue Saka gets a little bit of luck there um, because the defender doesn't get a strong enough foot on it. But he still needs to do a lot in that in that situation with that finish and, you know, executes it really, really well. So a really well-worked goal. It's 1-0 to the Arsenal and what a way to open up the the, the scoreline. Um, and really an excellent opening 10 minutes as well. Really great free-flowing football, especially down that right-hand side. Um, and again, just 
just chuffed for uh, Saka, Jesus, Tomiyasu and Odegaard as well. Um, Wolves, though, you know, they looked the shadow of themselves um, even before we score in, even before scoring the second goal. You'd expect a goal that early to kind of shake them up a little bit, but they seemed really, I don't know, lethargic, shot of confidence. Does that come down to Arsenal's defensive abilities and the way that we were able to shape, um, shape up without the ball? Or was it just a case of, you know, them not having the key players like your Pedro Neto's to get the ball rolling again, pardon the pun um, to, you know, try and claw their way back into the game. I think one of the big things uh, was the two suspensions that they had. So they had two players missing in center midfield, Jao Pedro and uh, Mario Lamina. Lamina scored the winner against Spurs as well. They are two very, very important players for Wolves and you're taking their two starting midfielders out. So I think, that definitely had a major effect on them. And um, the the players coming in just aren't as good as those two. Although I, I thought in the second half, their midfield grew into the game. But I do think that will have played a major part. Um, they've, been, they've only won four games this season, Wolves. Uh, two away and two at home, but they have beaten City and they have beaten Spurs. So they're a side that they're playing well. They're... Like, <laughs> They're a good side, but they're not winning a lot of games. So that is going to affect your confidence. And I think whenever you take two key players out of the team as well, you're going to see that kind of, I guess, nerviness that we saw from them today. And I think by complete contrast is we started really, really well. We are now full of confidence. We had just won 6-0 in the Champions League. We had got a late winner against Brentford last week. To, like straight after the international break, so two wins on the bounce, and you're going into it and you're looking at this Arsenal team and thinking that ah, we don't want to play against them. They're right now arguably the best side in the league. So it's I think there's there's both sides. It's Wolves have lost a couple of players. The injury to Neto as well has affected them, but he's been out for about four weeks now. So it, it's not like he got injured and this is the first game he's missed. They've been used to playing without him for a few weeks now. And um, look, all in all, for me, I think a big factor is that teams are coming to the Emirates now already kind of half beaten. Whereas a few years ago, I think every team would have come to Arsenal and thought, this is my day to really turn up and show what I can do. And there was always that belief that teams could turn us over. So, I think even going back to, well, over the last 10 years, really, there's always been that, I think with Arsenal fans as well, that doubt in your head, even though you know that the team should win games, there's always been an element of doubt of how many times did you see a player pop up and it'd be like first goal in two years and they've scored a screamer against us. You just don't see that anymore. And I think that's a big factor in how teams come out against us in that whenever you see teams play against City, they look beaten, they look nervous, and it's it, it, like, it's perception within football and it's one of those teams win and lose games in the tunnel. And I think when you stand up and you look at some of those Arsenal players, like Declan Rice, William Saliba, those two have a real aura around them and you'd be standing beside them in the tunnel and thinking, I'm going to have a tough afternoon today. Strikers really have that doubt when they try and take on Saliba. Rice just wins so many balls in midfield that I think that's a factor in why someone like Wolves comes here and looks nervous. 
Yes, yeah, interesting, isn't it? In in the midweek game, it was high energy, high tempo. It was you know very clear from the offset that we were uh, we wanted to exert ourselves. In this game, it felt a little bit different. It was the same kind of energy, the same kind of attitude, but the tempo was being played. I think a little bit on a little bit more of a measured approach. Um, obviously, unlike the game against Lons, where they were um, matching that, I guess, energy. Um, Wolves were, after the first goal anyway, they were a a bit tepid, you know, barely being able to play the ball out from their half. Um, It looked like they were, again, short on confidence, like I said. Um, But we looked so much more hungry to score, you know, that second goal and beginning to really enjoy ourselves. And it was weird to see that because Arsenal have had this, um, you know, this, this, this weird kind of, approach to the start of games where we feel ourselves into them, where we, you know, we don't want to make any over overly um, bold, risky moves straight away. Why do you think it is that we, or it was that, you know, we saw that approach um, at the at the start of the game? I, I don't, it may be down to us having our attacking players back. Like we've had a lot of, different lineups this season. So having Saka, Martinelli, Jesus and Odegaard all on the pitch at the same time, that could be a big factor in why we were starting faster in these games as opposed to in previous games where we've been building up the control and doing it very much from the back. So, but I'm not really sure. It could just be a case of we're working more on the attacking side in training now because we, we very much became a, a different side. So I would say a lot of the work during pre-season and everything going into this was around defending as a team and as a unit. So perhaps there's just a greater focus in training as well. It, it's really hard to tell exactly what it is because look, we don't hear Arteta's instructions. We don't see what's worked on in training. We literally have the eye test and the numbers that you can go into things with and kind of delve into but the reality is everything we do is pure guesswork so it's when it's down to why a team performs in a certain way like to be a fly on the wall in our tennis dressing room and listen to this stuff and find out exactly what the instructions are it's uh, it would be fascinating Mm, okay let's talk about the second goal Uh, it comes very soon after the first and this time it's Odegaard at the end of the um you know, beautiful uh, play between several players. And this time the goal is created on the opposite side of the pitch. Um, do you want to talk us through the goal? Yeah, really nice piece of play. Um, Zinchenko gets the ball. Um, he, who does he play it into? It's, um, he does a, it's a one-two between him and Jesus. It's a one-two. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's Jesus he plays it into. Yeah, it's one of those... He, he plays it in. It's given right very, very quickly. And um, Jesus just opens his body, plays that. Um, really good work from Zinchenko to get in round. I think it's Trossard that could have taken it, but um, he leaves it for Zinchenko, which it was the right call because I think he was probably in an offside position. But then the cutback is just absolutely inch perfect. It's... Uh, for a player arriving in the box, that's exactly the weight with the amount of the right amount of pace on the ball. It's just so accurate. It's perfect for Odegaard to hit. 
And I don't think there's a, a player in world football right now that's better at Martin, better than Martin Odegaard at hitting those kinds of shots. So on his left foot with the cutback, whether it's at the age in and around the penalty spot or outside the box, Martin Odegaard is the best player in the world at putting the ball in the back of the net like that. So, and it's something two years ago, we didn't really see much from him. So just the work on that side of his game over the last year and a half has been insane. And look, it was a beautiful finish. He just catches it perfectly. The keeper's got no chance. And again, I, I said the other night whenever he scored that I felt like he needed the goal. And I think the same, I think that goal definitely given the confidence that he needed and he looked like a different player today i think he, he's gone through a bit of a tough spell over the last month he had a hip problem then he had concussion then he had sickness and all in all he he ended up missing the best part of a month and um, because he missed the international break with norway as well but he missed some really important games for us and having him back on the pitch fit and confident it's really important. And that was his seventh goal of the season, uh, the fourth in the Premier League. So I, I think we're starting to see Martin Odegaard get back to his best again. And when he's taken and he's playing football like he played today, there's few players on the planet that are nicer to watch. He just was brilliant from start to finish today. And that goal summed up everything that he's all about. I don't think much is said about... Um the weight of a pass or the amount of power put into crosses and i think a, a, a lot of a lot of those things have an impact on the way a team plays and the way it looks on the eye so we can almost immediately tell when arsenal are looking uh, you know a little bit sl- sluggish um playing in second gear and we know when it's clicking. We know when things are looking really neat and tidy and it's just moving really, um, really quick. And this goal, yeah, this 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 goal epitomizes the importance of a well-weighted pass or a cross or the timing of a release um, of the ball. And there's a few things that I really like about this goal. Number one is, is the running off the ball, is the actions taking place out of that that scene um before just before uh Saka receives the ball it's there's a really nice crossfield pass from Declan Rice to find uh Bakayo Saka and it breaks up that whole um portion of play it allows Martinelli to sprint from the the left hand side into the right hand side opening up so much space for um, you know, other players to run into the to to run into that portion of the pitch on that left hand side. Cross comes in. It's a great deep cross. Um, it doesn't really look to trouble anyone, but because Martinelli has gone from the right hand side to the left hand side, he's completely fooled um, any Wolves defender into thinking anything's going to be happening down that left hand side. On comes Zinchenko into the picture, and when I'm talking about the the weight of passes and how important it is, unless you get that weight right between him and Jesus, you're unable to receive that ball um, as perfectly as he did. So plays that one-two wonderfully and it sets up Martin, uh, sorry, Martin Odegaard, um, you know, just the way he likes it really. He's scored from that position so many times. And as you said, 
there's no one really in the game that hits it better than him from that position. And yeah, it's one of those goals we'll be looking back on, um, you know, in, in, you know, year after year. Um, very Wenger-esque, if you don't mind me saying. So Arsenal are 2-0 up. Beautiful play, cute passes um, on the edge of the box. Beautiful finish from Odegaard. And then um, things start to, you know, slow down a little bit. Um, I think uh, because we were 2-0 up, there was a sense that we were quite secure. Having said that, though, we did have a number of opportunities in that first half to make it three, four, potentially five as well. Um, Wolves were slowly getting back into the game, but that's because we we, we slowed down the tempo. Um, We then built it back up. So why don't you maybe talk us through um, one of those chances where we should have maybe put it in the back of the net? Um, I'm trying to cast my mind back to the order they came in. But we we had numerous chances in and around the first half. We had the Gabriel header that um, he should have done better with. We had the penalty incident with Jesus where he gets pulled back. Um, what else did we have in the first half? I'm trying to think. Declan Rice. Declan Rice is a shot which looks to be heading in the bottom right hand corner. We, we had the, deflects out for a for a corner, I think. So yeah, we had that. We had. Um, <sighs> I'm trying to think through these um, now that you've put me on Martinelli, the spot. Martinelli, Martinelli shot clicks the post. The, post. Um, the, the Martinelli one's really interesting, actually, um, because it starts with Martinelli chasing back. Zinchenko makes a mistake, loses the ball. Um, it was um, Zinchenko and um, what's his name? Uh, Nelson Semedo. Semedo and Zinchenko were coming together. Zinchenko looks to have dealt with it, slipped. Semedo gets ahead of him. Martinelli chases back, wins the ball. We get out and um, we hoof that ball forward to Saka. He ends up in a foot race and um, get a really, really clever, brilliant play from Saka. He, he has the legs, um, beats the man for pace, and then he kind of just puts the brakes on opens up the whole pitch, comes inside, sees mm. Martinelli sprinting forward and just plays a perfectly weighted pass into him. And it's just exactly the positioning of the pass and the weight of the pass are exactly where a player like Martinelli wants the ball. He wants it to run onto and he comes bursting through and it's it's far enough ahead of him that he's meeting the ball and able to go straight. Again, gets himself into the box and very, very similar to what we saw against Lons in that he gets in, opens up his body, bends it around the keeper and it looks, it just looks like it's going to just bend and drop into the bottom corner, but obviously comes bouncing back off the post. But it was just one of those big moments that you think we're going to get a third goal anytime now. This is going to happen and it was kind of not quite chance after chance, but we had a lot of chances and it just felt like the one of these is going to go in. And that was the big one for me that it was beautiful football. It was just, I think it was the pass from Saka that I look at and think, this is why he's world-class. These are the things that they don't get you off your seat, but they are the things that very few players have the maturity or the vision to do. And to do these things at 22 is pretty insane because 
not many players can do them. And it's also the reason why I think Saka can play pretty much any position on the pitch. So you put him in left eight, he can play passes like that. Put him in right, he'll do that. You put him in the left wing, he'll play cutback after cutback and they'll be so accurate. But all in all, I just think he's what he brings to this Arsenal team is absolutely insane. And I think that was one of his best all-round performances that we've seen for a while. And um, on another day, he gets a very well-earned assist from that. And Martinelli gets a goal. And I am a bit worried about Martinelli's goals in the Premier League. He's only got one this season. And it was the goal against City. So I think that goal would have been massive for his confidence as well. And he always been scoring in the Champions League. He hasn't quite hit full form in the Premier League this season. Speaking of goals, I did want to have a quick chat, um, a quick chat about Gabriel Jesus. Um, uh, he, you know, he had a, again, uh, depending on how you want to look at it, I think he had a really good performance. Um, I think his work rate was superb. His ability to link up play uh, made us look really fluid in the final third. Wolves were really struggling to mark him out because of his ability to just be here, there, everywhere. Um, but he did have a few chances on goal. And they were they were quite good chances as well. One of them being in the back post. He hates that back post for whatever reason. He can never get it right. It's a brilliant cross in from Saka. Gabriel goes for the header, which I guess he, it puts him off a bit. I'm assuming he thinks that Gabriel's going to get that header or make some contact. Doesn't. Uh, the ball falls to him, his feet, and he just doesn't time the shot at all. Doesn't, touch, uh, doesn't time it well at all. And then I think a few moments later, um, Jesus with another chance, another opportunity after Odegaard intercepted a really poor pass from Wolves on the halfway line. He's put through um, with a lovely pass by Odegaard and just the finish isn't really hit with much venom. In that position, I'm, I'm, um, I'm expecting him to be really testing the keeper. Ends up not doing it. Um, so those were the two opportunities that Jesus had in the latter part of that first half. Nketiah comes on near the end of the game and you know, we'll speak about him in a lot more detail. He's unable to convert his opportunities. Sooner or later, these chances that they continuously um, you know, either put wide or not convert um, will end up uh, causing us a few issues in terms of you know, grinding out results. So does this worry you about Jesus? Is there something that Arsenal Arteta needs to address in order to start getting that conversion rate, you know, higher, better? I don't know what the conversion rate is, but you know, when you get when you're getting two really good opportunities like those, um, surely one of them has to go in the back of the net. Yeah, the the header from Gabriel was the, the big thing because I think Gabriel should be scoring that. I, I actually think Jesus was in an offside position anyway. So that mm. one I'm not as worried about. I think he throws himself at it because he expects Gabriel to win that header. I don't know how Gabriel missed the ball because he gets up so high. He looks like he would have got contact on it. And he's a player that really likes the ball in and around that area. So I, I was very surprised at that. But look, Jesus should be scoring. He's um, or at the very least hitting the target from there. I think the second one is really interesting because that was a beautiful ball in from Odegaard again. Um, he's he gets himself in the position. He I actually thought he was really greedy in that instance, and he should have passed. Declan Rice is bombing into the box, and if he uh, squares that ball, Rice 
has a very, very simple finish on the edge of the six and probably scores, puts us 3-0 up, game's done at that point, going in at halftime. So, I, look, my two worries about Gabriel Jesus are, firstly, his fitness, because he actually has one of the best goals to games ratios in Premier League history. And I think he's it's around fourth of all time. And then um, in the Champions League as well. So we need to keep him fit. And I think if we keep him fit, we will see him score a good few goals. He's never going to be a Haaland. So, but I think if we can keep him fit, we will see him get close to that 20-goal mark. Um, secondly, the other concern that I've always had is the number of chances he gets per game. So this season, he's been averaging around a shot and a half a game compared to last year where he was having three and a half a game. That's a big, big drop-off. So for me, we need to get him in those uh, those positions. We need to get him shooting. We need to get him being in and around the box on the end of good balls from Saka, Odegaard, and so on. Then the goals will come. So right now, I think the my bigger worry is him staying fit and then his kind of clinicalness because I think he does bring so much to the team. And I think a lot of what Jesus does enables Saka, Martinelli and Odegaard to get in. And it's no surprise that he's back and suddenly Saka and Odegaard are really scoring and flourishing. So that for me is where... Jesus comes in. So I still think lefty it is a bigger priority than a striker because we've got goals in the team. But all in all, look, I I agree with you. I think he was good today. I don't think he was kind of sensational. I think he had some really good moments. And but he has had a couple of big misses. And I think that one when he when he could shoot it past the rice, because it was a really weak shot as well. It was one of those, he kind of opened his body, he tries to bend it around the, the the defender, and he's ended up hitting it straight at the keeper. And in truth, we didn't really trouble that keeper too much after he came on, and I would have liked to have seen more sustained pressure, but we did play midweek, and that could have been a factor. Yeah, I did notice as well, one of the reasons why we were getting a lot more shots um, and creating a lot more chances was the space that was open to us in midfield. For some reason, Wolves were in a 5-3-2 defensive shape, leaving so much space to exploit in midfield, um, giving, you know, probably the best technical players in the league or some of the best technical players in the league, in the league uh, all the space in the world. Um, you know, you're talking about Rice, Odegaard, uh, Trossard even. And yeah, it was, it was surprising that... You know they 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 set up in a way because usually teams it, it's very rare that you'll find two men um, you know being positioned in an in an attacking position uh, without the ball. Um, so I find that quite interesting. Um, but it it did it did get a little bit hairy at the end of that first half. We kind of switched off a little bit defensively, and there was a moment where there was a bit of a mix-up between Zinchenko and Saliba, who don't communicate with each other, let the ball run into Huang, um, rolls in and goal, and luckily Raya is there to deal with it. I actually think it's, it's Huang who um, doesn't make the most out of that, and Raya potentially we could be talking about a different scenario where he doesn't... <laughs> He, he chooses to kind of, or he's a bit hesitant to come out, to come running out. Usually in that situation, you'd expect the goalkeeper to come running out and to close down the striker. Chooses not to, composes himself. And I guess it's the nature of David Rea to, you know, 
deal with that situation as calmly as possible. Um, but we get away with one, don't we, at the end of the first half? Yeah, it's it's a funny one with goalkeepers because basically the it's kind of the outcome is it, because he's got away with it and he's dealt with it in the way he did, it's like he made the right decision. But if uh, if Wang goes round him, it's like he should have come out quicker. He should have dealt with it. So that's always what's hard with keepers. It's like if the outcome goes against them, even if they've done everything kind of that you're coached to do, it's like, oh, the keeper made the wrong decision. On this occasion, I, I, I don't know what was the right call. Ultimately, he has got away with it. I don't think Wang made enough of it. But look, it, it's a really poor mix-up between Zinchenko and Saliba. And... What I think it was kind of it was more Zinchenko than it was Saliba, because if if I think if Zinchenko just drops off, Saliba probably just pops it back to Rea or he goes past the man. But what I did like about Rea in that instance is because he didn't rush out, it it could have been one of those where he's. Inst- instinctively looked at the distance and thought, I might not win that ball. And he's made the striker make the decision. And ultimately, the striker's made the wrong decision. And he actually deals with it quite well. He gets his uh, his leg down in a real blocking position and, again, does what you're coached to do in that position. So he makes sure he doesn't commit a foul. And, look, I think you're right. We, we did get away with one because if it's an Arsenal player, you would be expecting them to do more in that situation. So... It, it was one of those a, a nervy moment that we didn't need and another one that Zinchenko was involved with today. And so that that sound can only mean one thing. We've we've now arrived at the halfway point of the show where I'll be taking you guys into the second part of the show. But before we do that, Adam, give me your one word summary for that first half. Chaotic. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, we'll run with that. Chaotic. And I guess the second half, um, what's the opposite word of chaotic? Um, Controlled. Controlled, maybe. Yeah, I guess because it is controlled, isn't it? Um, yeah, that second half, very different to the first. I mean, it started off quite well. It was an electric start to the second half, actually. Saka almost immediately posing a threat, uh, launches a, a lovely ball in to the box from the right-hand side. Um, Trossard puts in another cross as well, I think, from the opposite side. Um, but we kind of turn into... Um, the, the static Arsenal with our defensive shape, not really willing to run off the ball, Wolves being able to knock the ball around, and we're happy to sit off and allow them to exert themselves on us. Now, in previous seasons, we'd be quite unhappy and cross with the players, with the coach, but it seems like now there are phases in the game where we have to play in this style because, number one, we can. We're defensively able and number two, um, I, I, I guess, I guess from a defensive standpoint, it's good to be tested because then it shows how good we are defensively. And when we're able to deal with scenarios and situations on a consistent basis, building on that muscle memory, but also building on that confidence that yes, we are one of the best defensive sides in the league, and we're able to do it in the bigger moments, in the bigger games. So when you're really up against it, 
in the final 10 minutes against City, against Spurs. You know, come that North London derby at the end of the season, when we're really up against it, these moments will have a knock-on effect because we would have proved that we're able to do it. So on that front, there yeah. is, it's, it's good. It's good to have those, um, those moments. But also um, to be able to recharge the batteries and then be able to quickly pose uh, you know, either a counter-attacking threat or, or a quick break um, on the counter. So, yeah, how how are you processing this side this side of Arsenal where they, um, you know, put themselves into that defensive shape and allow the opposition to hold hold the ball and and to you know build momentum? Um, I don't really mind it because I think when we win it back, we do control the game a lot better. And um, I think again, when I talked about last season I said that we left ourselves open a lot at the back I think this year out of possession we're so solid as a unit that that really helps us build and grow and we can kind of let teams play for a bit and not have the same panic that we used to but I I think with the second half today there were moments um Cunha had a great shot which was a very very good save from David Rea he kind of uh, he turned Declan Rice, which is no easy feat. So I think he, I actually thought Kenya had a really good game today, and he, he turned Rice. Rea does well. It's at the near post. There's plenty of power on it. But again, we we talked about this after the Lawns game where the keeper pammed it into a dangerous area, and Saka scored from Martinelli's shot. With this, Rea does everything that you're taught as a keeper. It's like get it away from the danger area get a good firm hand on it, get it away. And he really rescued the team at that point. Because I think had it have gone 2-1 then, that could have been, it may have done us a favour and woken us back up. But look, he was there and um, that was two times he saved us in the space of kind of 10 minutes in the game. So the end of the first half and then again at the beginning of the second. So that, that was an instance where I just felt we needed to waken up a bit. And um, it wasn't long after the Jesus penalty incident as well. So, But just on the, the penalty incident, what did you make of that? Because that was around 48 minutes and then the, the Cunha chance came with us letting them have the ball five minutes later. I'm smirking. Um, because For those of you that are listening, you won't know, but I'm smirking because... I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't have seen it. My stream cut out um, for the first um, six or seven minutes. So you're going to have to talk me through. I had no idea there was a penalty um, incident, um, nor did I know that Declan Rice was spun. So this is all news to me. So you're going to have to fill me in. So basically, um, the, the ball comes into the box, um, good cross in, and the defender has a hold of Jesus's arm. If VAR reviewed it and decided not to give a penalty, it's one of those, I think it's, if I'm looking at it and thinking if it was at the other end, I'd be annoyed if we conceded it. But I have seen penalties given for that. He does hold him back. My question, when I was watching it live, my instinct was that Jesus was in an offside position. I don't know if he was, but um, it, it was one of those, he kind of throws himself to the floor and maybe he went down a bit too dramatically and that's what we thought. But it's one of those that could have very easily been given and a 2-0, had we have got a penalty then, becomes a very, very different game and kind of it, the game's put to bed then and 
I think the the Cunha chance that happens a few minutes later doesn't end up having any impact. So so yeah, one of those incidents where it uh, we haven't needed it today. We haven't needed to get that penalty, but on another day when the game is much tighter, it does beg the question mark again of consistency because there was one given very similarly in the Forest Brighton game last weekend. Okay, well, something to look back on, I guess. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really matter though, since we've won the the match ultimately. But but having said that, you're right. Um, in you know, in the in the sense of um, maintaining a standard, I don't know what standard that is anymore in the Premier League. But um, yeah, something to something worth looking back on. He's not he's not on the pitch for much longer though. Um uh, 15 minutes maybe into the second half, Arteta decides to sub him off. I asked you a question at the beginning about whether he should be allowed to play 90 minutes. Is it a case that because we're playing midweek games and he's only getting 3 to 4 days of rest that it's important to take him off um after an hour or does Arteta think that you know because we're only 2-0 up, he's had a few chances we're beginning to slow down a little bit and we need a proper striker. I put that in quotation marks, proper striker. What do you think it is? I think it's um, the reason I said no to that question is because Jesus has just returned from another injury. He's still building his fitness. He went away, played 96 minutes with Brazil, then had that long flight. And then he's played, that, that's his third game in a week. So it's it's more... I think building up his fitness and I thought he looked tired when he came off, but look, I, I give it two weeks of, or even maybe next weekend, I would expect him to be ready to play 90 minutes. I don't think this is a long-term thing. I think it's just as you're building fitness up of players and getting them back. I think Arteta is probably a bit more cautious with Jesus than he is with some other players. And I think he, he probably falls into the Thomas Party category now Tomiyasu as well, who picked up an injury today, and Zinchenko for that matter as well. These players do pick up a lot of injuries. They don't seem to be able to really get sustained periods without getting some kind of a knock. Whereas you've got the the flip side with your kind of Gabriel, Saka, Martinelli, and Ben White, players like that who rarely pick up injuries, Declan Rice as well, can play the 90 every week. And so I think with Jesus, it's a case of we do just have to build up those minutes. And with the striker as well, I think people keep saying that we need a 20, 25 goal a season striker. Unless that striker is doing what Jesus does, they're not an upgrade because I'm sorry, but 25 goals a season if you've got a Haaland isn't good enough. That it's it's unacceptable. The reason Haaland plays and does so well for City is because he's scoring 35 goals in the Premier League and he's coming out with 50 goals in all competition. He's not coming out with 25 goals. If Haaland did what he does for City and only got 25 goals, there isn't a chance in hell Pep would play him. It's so it, when we're looking at a striker, we have to be looking at someone who can bring similar qualities to Jesus on the ball and really help us as a team, and then also get the the extra ten goals a season that he's missing. So it, that's why I have trouble with certain strikers that we're linked to because I don't think they're good enough all round. 
And I also don't think they're in that lethal category either. I think there's very few truly lethal strikers around. Haaland is one of them. And But even if you look at like Liverpool paid a lot of money for Darwin Nunez, Nunez who I rate very highly, but he's someone, he misses a lot of chances. He's a great mover and he keeps getting into positions, but he does miss a lot of chances. And that is the forward market right now. There aren't loads of strikers out there. And really, if you want a really top, top tier striker, you're expecting them to be hitting close to 30 goals every season, not 25. Yeah, we've arrived at a time in a really really weird sort of time frame where there aren't really that many prolific strikers around you know your Zlatans and your Lewandowski's are um, they've come and gone and I guess we're waiting for the next crop to pop up so um, but I I think me and you we have different uh, expectations or different um, desires for our second string striker if you want to call it that Um, no matter what happens I think Jesus needs to um, stay in that in that in that nine role, he, he does far too much off the ball, and he does far too much for others around him to then be replaced for someone who may score twenty twenty five goals. Um, but I would like Arsenal to tackle this this problem by looking at it from a different point of view, and that's adding another layer of dynamism up top, uh, just another option and another uh, oh, yeah. you know. I agree with you on that. Yeah, it, it can't be some. It can't be so, a yeah, similar I, I do, trait. I do agree there. Yeah, yeah. I think the the thing for me is if we're upgrading on Jesus and going for a striker, it's that upgrade needs to be of significant quality, and um, then and that's why I think there's very few around that we can really look at. I think someone like Evan Ferguson is a big future ahead of him, but I think he would cost over a hundred million. Brighton aren't easy to negotiate with. And I don't think Evan mm. Ferguson's ready to lead the line for Arsenal yet. I think maybe in another year he might be there. But right now, I still think a lot of what you're paying for is potential. Um, but the, the big opportunity there is I think we need to be getting more from Eddie and Kedia when he's coming on. And that cameo today, I, I thought was, again, very, very poor. And he came on. Some games you say, like people say, Eddie, come on when the game was already over. It wasn't over today. We needed that third goal and he had a big, big opportunity. It's a beautiful pass from Odegaard. Like, that is a striker's dream. He, it was one of those passes. We, we saw him do them last season where he kind of hits it with the outside of his foot and it curls, but it kind of, there's enough backspin on the pass that it kind of slows down for the striker as they're coming through. So it's perfect to hit. And look, the thing, the the miss itself didn't frustrate me because like, it comes off the post. He kind of does everything right. What really annoyed me, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the minute he he shoots, he kind of stops. And then he, he actually stops in the box and puts his hands on his head. It's like, mate, keep playing. The whistle hasn't gone. The ball's still in play. Even if he had a follow-through on his shot, there's a chance that it bounces back out to you, which, again, the chances Mm. of that happening are low, but it's keep playing. The game's still going on. Stop. You're already half-wheeling away to celebrate. Keep playing. Um, 
chase down the defender, try and win it back, support your teammates. And there were multiple times today I thought, when I looked at Eddie, it's like, you look like you've played from the start. You've only been on 15 minutes. Why are you not showing more energy? And again, I've questioned, is it a coaching thing? Is this instructional? But actually, the contrast to him compared to some other players, I just don't buy that Arteta would be telling him not to close people down when you have Havertz or Odegaard going into that nine position at times and they chase and they press and they hurry and they make it difficult. So, yeah, I'm, I just find Eddie extremely frustrating. And he's someone, I think because he's a heel end kid and I like his attitude and everything, I really want him to do well. And, but I just feel that it, he has these moments where you think, oh, this is Eddie arriving. And then you've got five weeks of him just being not up to standard. Yeah. At this, at this point, anyway, it's, well, depending on how you want to look at it, if you're in the camp, where you're expecting Arsenal to go for a league title and you expect them to lift silverware this season. We we, we kind of need a little bit more than Eddie Nketiah. It's one of the reasons why so many young prospects are on loan right now. It's why Charlie Patino can't get a look in. It's why players like Nelson won't get a look in as well for regular first team football. Why Mill Smith Rowe is struggling. It's because the bar has been set so high that you shouldn't be allowed to get away with those... Uh, moments, you know, we're seeing how um, cutthroat Arteta has been with players like Ramsdale, with players even like Ben White at the beginning of the season. Cast your mind back to what was happening with Gabriel, and so you know, uh, it's me. This, 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 this whole um, this debate, this conversation, um, as comfortable as it's been, you know, it doesn't seem like we're ever going to really get to... Because the decision was made in the summer. We picked Eddie over Balogun. We decided to commit ourselves to him. I just feel like we're so far into that um, commitment, it's, you know, there's no turning back. So Arteta kind of has to die on this hill if he, if he does. Um, one of the things that really annoyed me about this particular I moment... Think- yeah, go on. I think part of the Eddie Balligan thing is, and when we had Charles Watts on the pod, we discussed this with him as well. It was down to the the market as well, in that there was real interest in Balligan and Arsenal didn't have anyone looking at Enkedia. So if there was, and we could have got a similar fee for Enkedia, it might have been a different story. But I think Balligan was wanted by a lot of clubs in Europe and the club saw it as an opportunity to cash in when we needed to bring some cash in to by Declan Rice and players like that. So I think part of that was down to circumstances. And I, I imagine Enkedia will be someone that we will upgrade on this summer. But part of it, part of it's also priorities. So in the summer, we went out and bought Rice and, um, and he was our big signing. So I think with signing a striker, it was there, there's a possibility that had Tony not have been banned, we, we would have gone for him. But um, obviously, he was banned. So, so yeah, I, I think it's probably down to circumstances as well within Kenya. But yeah, just a really frustrating miss today. But sorry, what were you about to say? Because I cut you off. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, no, I was just saying that the one thing that really annoyed me about that uh, particular moment that you were talking about was his 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 well, his lack of a of a, an instinctive striker's run. Um, 
if it had not been for Odegaard, had it, maybe any other player on that pitch in that moment might not have been able to get that pass through to Nketiah. Because it's Odegaard, we take it for granted. You know, the guy can um, get the ball anywhere on the pitch. That pass tears through the Wolves' defence and luckily uh, Eddie's pace, he does enough to get to the ball. But what really annoyed me was the moment before where Odegaard picks up the when he's looking to release Nketiah. Uh, you know, I urge you to look back at the, the, the opportunity, but he's so hesitant to run in between the Wolves' players. He's so hesitant to time that run well that he, he delays it, delays it. Odegaard's then forced into playing that pass Um it finds a different kind of channel to, to to play that pass in between the two Wolves players. Eddie uses the opposite side of his marker to then run in the box. Um, and it's, you know, it's put on a plate for him. He really, really, really needs to get that shot on target. Um, someone else hit the post. I think it was Martinelli, wasn't it? Such It's a, it's a shame that he wasn't able to finish. I, I would argue that was more of a difficult opportunity. Um, but it's moments like that where you look at a player and you really look at them critically. But yeah, we we had other chances, and again, it was Odegaard at the center of them. Um, he played in um, Martin, or he played in Trossard, who kind of went around the keeper and didn't really do anything. That was followed up by Saka, who just went in and for once made the wrong decision in the box and just elected to hit a shot straight away, and which was blocked by a Wolves defender. But in, in that instance, Kenya was free around the penalty spot and he could have rolled it across. It was It's one of those, it was a very instinctive shot. But the, again, it was a beautiful ball into Odegaard and Trossard goes clean through and you just think he's going to chip the keeper. And for some reason, he just keep, he takes that extra touch that he doesn't need to, he needs to shoot quicker. And um, he, there is a, he's not clean through, he's, there's a defender close to him. But on another day... He scores that, and I think mm. this is why I say it was one of our best performances of the season because we created hold on, all hold these on, chances. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Adam. You've forgotten to mention the most important thing about that play. It was Havertz's interception that started all of it. I can't believe you missed that. It, uh, <laughs> I did. I completely missed that. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, and Havertz is someone I would have brought on earlier, but um, the no. It, I just thought Odegaard was absolutely sensational today. That's one of his best performances for a long time. And the, the Trossard chance uh, within Kedia, again, I thought he would, would have scored that. And then Trossard, again, I expected him to chip, chip the keeper in the form that he's in and how good of a finisher he is. I just expected him to score. And we also had the second chance where he bent it in from distance, big looping shot, and it, it just mm. went over the bar a couple of inches. But we had all these chances and it's a long time that since we've been on a pod here talking about the number of chances we had and we've missed a lot. So look, for me, I'm not as worried about us missing chances. I'm more worried when we're not creating chances because I think if you keep creating chances, you will score them. And especially when you've had two come off the post, it's a lot of them were very close misses and on another day we score those, but the key is that you create chances. And uh, like, as we were saying the other day, you shouldn't have to score every chance you get. It's about volume. It's about if you keep putting the ball in the right area, your strikers will get the goals eventually. But, but yeah, some frustrating points, but okay. all in all, I think it was a really good attacking performance. 
but we give ourselves that nervy finish that we really didn't need. So talk, talk to me about that goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a wonderful strike by Cunha. And the the thing that made that Enketia miss that much more frustrating, it came straight, it came just after conceding that goal. Rice, Havertz and Zinchenko are all standing around the ball. Rice makes the challenge um, and it forces Zinchenko. I don't know, you know, whether it's a lapse of concentration. I don't know whether it's just Zinchenko um, being Zinchenko, but he loses the ball cheaply and he, he was doing it a few times in the game. There were, I think, two or three other occasions where the ball was just being intercepted whether it's whether you want to put it uh, put it down to Wolves um, being switched on and making the most out of it, or whether Zinchenko is just not sharp enough, not quick enough when he's got the ball, he's far too relaxed. I don't know, but he loses it cheaply. Um, maybe I'm being a bit harsh when I'm saying he loses it cheaply. He loses it before a brilliant strike from Cunha, um, and it goes beyond Raya. But yeah, I, I'd love to hear your take on this whole Zinchenko, um, I guess, debate we're all going to have now? Uh, look, it was a really, really poor pass. And it's. I think what makes it even more frustrating is Rice makes a great challenge inside the box. He's not under pressure. Rice is protecting him, uh, him as well from the Wolves player. And he play, it's, a, it's a lazy pass. That's what frustrates me sometimes about Zinchenko is it's the laziness of some passes in key areas. But what's really frustrating is he had a really good game today for the most part. There were a couple of instances defensively where he did make mistakes. We talked about the Martinelli chance. That all started from a Zinchenko mistake where he loses the ball. And there's times I think Zinchenko, instead of playing the simple or obvious pass, makes things difficult for himself. And some... Some of those reasons are why he's so good and so effective because he does take risks. But whenever it's 85 minutes into a game and you're inside your own box, just clear it. I, there, there was nothing that we would have gained from him playing it to one of our centre-backs there that I, just clearing the ball would have done. It's 85 minutes in. Wolves were applying a good bit of pressure at that point. Just get rid of it. Very, very simple. And... It's frustrating because I really appreciate the work Zinchenko does for the team. I see real value in his role, but I also think there's things that you can't overlook. Uh, there are people that are overly harsh on him and people wait for him to make mistakes so they can jump in on him. But it's a case of that today, I think, was just laziness. It was such a slack pass played in such a dangerous area. And... If you're going to play those passes, you, you play them with conviction. You know exactly who you're passing to and you make sure it reaches your man. You don't play a kind of... There wasn't even enough weight on the pass for someone to do anything. It was just a suicide ball in the box and it was a beautiful strike from Cunha. He kind of dummies, opens his body and strikes it perfectly. You can even see the replay from behind the goal. Reyes face just... East. He's got no hope of getting it. It's placed perfectly. And it's it was one of those... I, I was gutted for Rea because I thought he was fantastic today. I thought it was one of his best performances for us, both with his feet, um, his collections, and then he made those two big saves uh, just before and just after halftime. So it kind of... And it also makes the game look a lot tighter than it was. That was 
really a game we should have won five five nil, and their one true shot on target just happens to be a beautiful finish that again on another day he doesn't finish it that well but we we really didn't need to be putting ourselves in that position with 10 minutes to go and even during the second half I felt there was a lot of complacency in our performance so we were kind of playing 3-0 football at 2-0 with that in midfield I, I there didn't seem a real urgency from our players um Odegaard was still very good. Declan Rice was excellent. Um, I felt Trossard was a bit too casual at times. Zinchenko was definitely guilty of being casual. And there was a lot of... It felt like we wanted to hold the ball rather than go and get that third goal to just kill the game. And we left ourselves open to an every finish, which ultimately happened. And again, I think people say Arsenal fans will find anything to complain about after a win. But actually, it's you can be completely blind and say... We've won, we've nothing to look at. And actually, we saw it against Fulham, we didn't kill the game. Um, there's been other games, the Spurs game as well, where we didn't take our chances whenever we, we should have won that game by a lot more. And um, there's been other moments. So, look, it's just being realistic. We we should have killed that game off earlier and we've given ourselves an un, a really unnecessary nervy finish to the game. So, so yeah. But hopefully, again, it's something that we learn from. And we, we actually did see the game out quite well, even though it was nervy. And then there was obviously the VAR check but for a penalty against Gabriel. And that was over and done pretty quick. I think my commentary was in German, so I don't know how long it uh, <laughs> it actually went on for. But uh, but yeah, that, that for me was never a penalty. And um, Gabriel just looked completely completely calm there was no none of his usual emotion around the penalty he just knew it wasn't mm. the handball so so yeah but like i was pleased with how we saw it out in the end even though it was a bit frantic at points but all in all i think we did enough that we weren't kind of having that nail bite and finish even if it was a bit nervy yeah other than those two additional minutes added on um, at the end of the game, despite it being a 96, uh, six minutes uh, additional time. I don't know. <laughs> there there <laughs> was over a minute for the penalty check with VAR. Mm, okay. So Fine. that's possibly it. But yeah. 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 But, you know, three points, um, nervy end to the game. It makes, uh, it, it gives us something to talk about, I guess, in that second half. So um, all in all, a good game of football and three points that takes us four points clear at the top. And so we have finally arrived for good, 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 bad, good, good, good bad where we will be talking about our, or giving you our good, our good, good, and bad moments of the game. So, Adam, why don't you kick us off by giving us your good moment of the game? Good moment. Uh, I'm going to go with Odegaard's pass into Inkeria. That was just absolutely sensational. So, what about yours? My good moment of the game. Okay, good question. Very good question. Um, my good moment of the game will go to. Um, Jesus's uh, involvement in the first goal, he backs off 
um, onto the, the set defender and really fancy footwork makes it look far too easy than it, it should um, look. But yeah, it does, just does really, really well. Makes that whole move look so slick. Um, what about your good, good moment? Yeah, that, that was such a nice goal. Uh, my good, good is Odegaard's goal. Mm. Just the, I, I just love watching him strike a ball, perfectly placed and just a really, really good finish. And there, I, I could talk all day about how good Odegaard was. Real man of the match performance today and just sensational. What's your good, good? Well, seeing as you've stolen my good, good, and look, uh, I'm in a mood to make you happy today. So I'm going to, I'm going to go for Jorginho's cameo in the last few minutes of the game. <laughs> no. So yeah, my boy. Yeah. So, um, no, I'm joking. But yeah, what about you? Uh, what about your bad moment? I'll let you fine, go first. Fine. So that- my bad moment of the game, um, my, yeah, my, it has to be Nketiah's, um, I don't know whether you want to call it a fumble, but he, he needs to put that in the back of the net if he, if he wants to be considered a serious you know, striker in the game. Um, you, you won't be you won't be put on goal any better than that. You won't be put in a position any better than that strike and put it in. The, it, it struck well, but it just doesn't. It's not hit with any conviction. I don't feel um, to find itself in the back mm. of the net. So yeah, that's my bad moment. What about you? Um, rather than going for the obvious, which is Sinchenko's pass, I'm going to go with Tomiyasu's injury. I'm hoping that he's okay because he did walk off and didn't appear to be limping. So I'm hoping he's just got a kick to the calf and with Ben White in the bench, they just decided not to take any risks. But let's wait and see. It's um, it's Tomiyasu and we know his injury history. So it's it's one of those where we just have to wait and see. And you can never trust what Arteta says after a game. So let's wait and see on Wednesday whether he, or Tuesday whether he plays or not. Okay, good stuff. Well, it's that time of the show again where we must say goodbye. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can also find Adam over there at Adam Keys underscore Monty at ATP Monty and myself at Gunner since 96. As always, we will be back next week. No, not next week. In the next few days to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal therapy. Um, but if you can't wait until then, make sure to head over to the Arsenal therapy YouTube channel for the 15 minute show and the preview show. So until then, take care, have yourselves a lovely week and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>